0: Welcome everyone to Spirited Discussions. I am your host, Lachlan Watt, a passionate alcoholic and alcohol educator with years of experience in both the spirits and bar industries. Throughout this series, we are going to explore the history and production of some of our favorite vibations. And in each episode, I'll be joined by an incredibly experienced guest. Together, we will delve into a topic with all of the information that you need to understand why you enjoy what you're drinking, as well as some fun tidbits to share with your friends. I'm so looking forward to taking you on this journey to discover the wonderful world of alcohol. Today, we are joined by one of my very good friends, Tom Scott, and we will be discussing American whiskey. Welcome. Thanks for joining me.
1: Hello. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. Um, today, we are actually sharing this incredible whiskey that was a gift to me by a good, another good friend of mine, Angel's Envy Uh rye whiskey that's been finished in a rum car so cheers first and foremost
1: cheers it is awesome to have this here you know you can't, can't actually get it in australia at the moment no
0: you can't and it's a whiskey that i've had a very long love affair with uh but to start off i'd really like to get your history in this industry and i guess share with us what you're doing at the moment
1: yeah so for me i've had a career lasting now Over half my life, working in the spirit and booze industry. Yeah. Running some of the best bars in Melbourne and overseas. I've had the joy and pleasure of traveling traveling around the world, visiting numerous distilleries at my last count, something around like 60 different distilleries around the world. Jesus. It's been a few. Yeah. I do like whiskey. That's definitely evident by the fact that I used to run a bar, which you now look after, Whiskey and Almond, where we had a good selection of whiskeys in the back bar to work our way through. Just one or two. One or two. (laughs) I think at one point we got to about a 1000
0: uh, I think the highest I've ever seen was around 1200 at any one point in time. Yeah,
1: that was a little ridiculous. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so throughout that time, definitely been a huge advocate and a lover of all things dark spirits and whiskies. Absolutely. And uh, now currently I apply my trade as brand ambassador with a company called Exchange, which looks after the premium spirits of Beam Suntory. And as you can probably guess from the first part of that name, Beam yep. is you know a very uh, well-known name in the American whiskey industry, which is probably why you have me here today. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I'm really excited to go through some of this stuff with you today as well. So I guess we'll start off with um, one of my favorite things that we do throughout this the, this series is a 60 second history of our topic, which is obviously American whiskey. I'm going to get you to time me as well. and I'll, I'll
1: be very impressed if you can get yeah, through the history of American whiskey in 60 seconds. It's
0: going to be very short and very tight. And famously, I don't Get this right. Um,
1: <laughs> so, so you're not just recording this at normal speed and then play play it back at twice speed to try and no, get it in?
0: absolutely not. But we'll 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 touch on a lot of this later on anyway. But we'll we'll try and get it perfectly this time.
1: So getting we'll getting out the
0: stopwatch. We'll set a timer.
1: Seeing the time for one one minute one sixty minute. seconds. Yep. Best of luck.
0: All right. Just tell me when to start. I, I
1: count you in. Yep. All right. Three, two, one. And you're off.
0: American whiskey history starts with English colonization in 1607, with uh, their first colony, which was we now call Jamestown in uh, Virginia, I believe. Uh, Irish and Scottish, and now Germanic, and also Germanic uh, settlers started to grow rye around that area because it was the only grain that was really sustainable to grow in that that part of the world. And so they started making beer and subsequently very rudimentary form of whiskey from it. And then this kind of formed this, I guess, a very large cottage industry. So all these farm distilleries just trying to use this grain. And then due to a range of tax and political problems around the 1700s, a lot of the distillers from Pennsylvania and that part of America moved to Kentucky and started to, Grow and distill yep, corn. Five, five seconds. Thank you very much. This is not easy. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of formed the <laughs> rudimentary form <laughs> of bourbon. Uh, all right. Well, I'll go through the last little bit of it. Uh, bourbon only really took over the American whiskey industry after Prohibition in the 1920s, which was a social movement. A uh, uh, The temperance movement formed it. And then we start to see bourbon take over as the national spirit. It was... Uh, named the national spirit in the 1960s. And now we're seeing this really massive revival in single cast whiskey, craft whiskey, single malt whiskey, bourbon, rye, etc., all happening in the US. So it's a really great time to be alive to be drinking American whiskey.
1: You do know you write the rules in this game. You could give yourself longer than 60 seconds. No, nope.
0: <laughs> I like a challenge and I like to be proven that I can't do it.
1: Well, <laughs> all of us have our flaws.
0: Exactly. Well, now that's all out of the way. I think the very first question we need to dive into is what was your first experience with American
1: whiskey? So for me, I've had a love affair with this glorious spirit for a heck of a long time, for maybe longer than I should have. For legal purposes, we'll say since 18, yeah? Yep. That is the legal drinking agent here in Australia. Yep. Uh, But like most people born south of the Queensland border, I uh, grew up on bourbon and cokes. Yep. the, The classic Australian drink, otherwise colloquially known as the suburban and coke. Yep. And uh, that was my favorite drink for a heck of a long time. Beer never really did it for me as a as a younger lad. I found myself getting too bloated and full from beer. Yeah. But I guess the uh, the glorious dark spirit was what I was first about. And I guess the fact that I now work for Beam Suntory is probably appropriate, considering one of my earlier nicknames in my in my youth was known as the Beam the Beam Boy, because I was brand loyal even back then. Uh, who came up with that? One of my one of my school friends. Yeah. Uh, I was even loyal to the point that I would drink various styles of beam uh adamant and sure of myself that they were better quality having no idea what the difference was between them remember i was uh used to love choosing uh jim beam choice now right. i couldn't have told you what the difference was back then i knew it had a green label and i think i just liked that
0: yeah that that hasn't been around for a little while has it
1: no it's been a minute
0: yeah brilliant well i um i remember my very first experience with with enjoying american whiskey was um My old bar mentor, Joey, who you know very well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty well.
0: Just a little bit. Um, She sat me down at the bar when I told her that I didn't really have an appreciation of American whiskey and gave me 14 glasses of, I didn't know what it was. There was 14 glasses, no bottles or anything. Told me to sit down and taste and write notes. Just write notes, tell me what you like, what you don't like, what it tastes like. And throughout that experience, I gained this incredible appreciation of the category of American whiskey because it's so broad and so deep. And I think I was just a bit childish and who knows, but well, this is going back 10 years now. So, yeah.
1: Did you come up with a favorite during that time?
0: <laughs> um, yes. I, uh, I, I realized really early on that I loved rye whiskey and then subsequently gained an appreciation for bourbon. And that's kind of just led me down this deep dark rabbit hole to to this day. So
1: yeah, I definitely got, got into rye whiskey when I started working in cocktail bars and realized that a lot of the great classic you know bourbon cocktails were actually originally made with rye and then brandy before that. Yeah. But realizing that rye whiskey really works so well in these you know Manhattan style old fashioned style drinks, that extra spice and depth well. and everything yeah it works so well.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't don't realize is a lot of our favorite whiskey cocktails were rye whiskey cocktails originally. So including the Highball, once upon a time was a rye whiskey cocktail.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. Is, it is the joy when you go back into history, a lot of these things. And it is a case that we don't know all the history when you're talking about spirit history. Most of it yeah. was written down by drunkards and booze hounds and don't exactly keep great records of everything.
0: But it was just, it was all whiskey. No one really cared for what it was made from or how it was made. It was just whiskey. That's yeah. how you drink it however you wanted to. And I kind of, Love that and I want the industry to kind of move back towards that where we just drink it because we enjoy it.
1: Oh, 100%. You know, both you and I have probably had the question a thousand times of what's the right way to drink whiskey? You know, how many drops of water can you add to it? Does it break your heart any time you add Coke to it? Seven unicorn tears or – Right. Yeah. (laughs) I've always just had the belief that (laughs) if it puts a smile on your face, you're doing it right.
0: Exactly. Um, I always like to say uh, the only wrong way to drink whiskey is to not drink it at all. (laughs) Fair. Yeah,
1: um,
0: a lot of people don't realize that you mentioned the south of the New South Wales border. Bourbon and Coke is such a massive thing. A lot of people don't realize the relationship Australia has with American whiskey. Do it you want to kind of lead us down that path?
1: Yeah, it is pretty pretty big and important relationship. It is, yeah, uh, yeah. Most people don't realize how much bourbon the or well, American whiskey, but in particular bourbon, the Australians drink. In fact, we drink. As much per capita as the Americans do?
0: I believe it's actually considerably more. It's now more. Uh, The the numbers keep fluctuating. In volume, it's almost the same, but per capita, wildly more. Yeah, Think of the population sizes. And and we're
1: generally always in the top three countries in terms of volume volume of consumption.
0: And uh, the the three, uh, America, Australia, and either the UK or Japan,
1: which is... It's nuts. Wild. And
0: our population size could fit into one of the major cities in any three of those countries. Yeah, it
1: has led to some special things cropping up, uh, especially some of the bourbons that have been made just for Australia. I love when, I think it was one of the master distillers for South Trade from the Buffalo Trace Distillery was in town and was asking everyone what their favourite bourbon was or what they sold the most of in their venue. And someone mentioned Cougar and it was just a dumbfounded look from the distiller talking about having never heard of this brand before where... It's not a brand you'll see around all that much, but ten years ago, it was pretty much poured in every pub, yeah. and there was um, uh, an ad campaign that has not aged well.
0: It has not. It is uh, probably one of the most damaging things from that point in time. But I <laughs> love what they did. Yeah, because that would not fly anymore. Yeah, but but just the great. fact that
1: the uh, the Australian um, audience is so keen for this spirit that they have to have made just brands for us to yeah. actually keep up with demand and consumption.
0: Well, Cougar can only be found in Australia in certain parts of Southeast Asia. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's an Australian-owned company, Cougar, as well. It's ridiculous. Which is insane. But we, we also invented the, the RTD with the bourbon and Coke can. Um, it's, it's such an interesting relationship, but we've always really struggled to get all this really cool premium American whiskey over here. Because of that relationship,
1: yeah, and I guess the the identity that bourbon has, especially in Victoria and yeah. New South Wales, you know, its association with say like Bathurst and and classic Aussie rock bands and the country mm-hmm. pubs or of thing, it's then led to an association that this bourbon is the bogan drink. It's the right? bogan drink, yeah. yeah.
0: It's Bundaberg Rum and bourbon. Yeah,
1: and, and in America, it definitely had that association along for for quite some time with the redneck scene over there it was mm-hmm. moonshining, yeah. and all of
0: that. Yeah.
1: Um, But it's definitely come along leaps and bounds, and the the quality of bourbon we're seeing coming out today, or American whiskey in general, with uh, all the rides have started to be coming up and the rise of American single malt. Yeah. There is now actually an understanding and appreciation that there is some great quality spirit coming from the States. And there's some really uh, incredible
0: craft distilleries that are coming to the forefront in the American scene. And we'll break that down in a little bit. But I mean, we've already kind of covered this, but there's all of these different styles of whiskey in the United States. It's not just bourbon. We've mentioned rye during the history. We've already touched on single malt a little bit, but let's break down all these categories of American whiskey that are, are getting around and starting to develop and evolve to the point that we're seeing them around the world. So what categories of, of American whiskey are there?
1: Well, as you mentioned, the, the earliest style of whiskey really being made in the States was rye whiskey. And I guess yep. one of the main sort of laws or requirements to be a rye whiskey is that 50% of the mash bill, what we call a recipe, is made up at least yep. of rye. And then that was the spirit style dominant for a heck of a long time. It's what saw America through until Prohibition, really. Almost 200 years, yeah. yeah. And uh, people think of bourbon as the predominant spirit of America, but that didn't come about until post-Prohibition. After all, the rye distilleries had to shut down during that period.
0: Exactly. And uh, what is bourbon?
1: So bourbon's probably one of the most heavily controlled and regulated spirits in the world.
0: I, a recent um, article said it's the most controlled alcohol on earth. Yeah. Uh, also so than champagne. Yeah,
1: even the very first uh, food legislation in the United States in terms of government control was around but, American whiskey and bourbon. Yeah. Uh, and the, the rules for bourbon is an absolute tome. It's a massive book. It's not the most enjoyable read. It's not a page turner.
0: No, I've had to read it four times. Yeah,
1: I've had to go through it a few times as mm-hmm. well, and I love the uh, the juxtaposition compared to, say, Canadian whiskey. Yeah, I think they have four laws, and one yeah, of them one is that it has to kind of represent Canada.
0: It uh, it has to taste like whiskey. <laughs> is one of them as yeah, well. <laughs>
1: but I also love represent Canada. What does that does the whiskey have to be polite? I don't know.
0: Nah, uh, have a maple leaf on the bottle, you <laughs> know.
1: But uh, for 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 bourbon, I'll so Not going to go through all those laws, but the the big classics everyone has to understand is that has to be made within the United States. A lot of yep. people think it has to come from Kentucky. That's not actually true. Kentucky, for lack of a better word, is the spiritual birthplace of yep. bourbon. Bourbon counties to be specific. but Yeah, but even that gets into some murky areas because yeah, exactly. the, the term bourbon pops up before the county even existed. So. Well,
0: it was called something else. Um which I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, it got renamed to Bourbon County, what, in the early 1800s, I think?
1: Yeah, it was originally part of West Virginia, and we're getting kind of into the minutia of Bourbon history where this all comes from, and that's a very uh, dark and deep path to travel down of what's actually truth and what's just uh, fanciful fiction done by marketing companies. Exactly. Um, But what we do know is the spirit has to come from the United States, doesn't have to come from Kentucky. Most of it is made there but you can make bourbon in any other state in America. In fact, they've started making bourbon in Hawaii.
0: Exactly. And there's a bourbon coming from every single state nowadays. But the three, 95% of it does come from three states, which is Indiana, Kentucky, and Tennessee.
1: Yeah, 100%. Then outside of that, it has to be aged in brand new charred oak barrels, which is arguably one of the more important and influential yep. laws because that also then affects pretty much all whiskey outside of America as well. And rum and tequila and, and every spirit that has to be aged in a barrel, eighty yeah. percent of it's Asian in ex bourbon barrels. Uh, then outside of that, has to be made with at least fifty one percent corn as opposed to the rye. Uh, and then after that, you pretty much don't need to know the laws unless you try and make it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then there's there's a couple of age requirements, and then you have to go into different terminologies. Like, yeah, um, I think the one thing that people struggle with over here, and one of the things that we have to spend a lot of time. Explaining to people is breaking down the the terminology on a label of whiskey, especially with American whiskey, because there's all this regulation that was defined in the United States to protect the consumer from dodgy producers.
1: Yeah, and and a lot of the uh, stuff written on a label, you know, a good portion of it is marketing wank. Yeah, you know, companies spend millions of dollars designing these labels to make the bottles look pretty, and a lot of stuff on there is just fanciful and fluff stories
0: but the stuff they focus on the least is normally the stuff that describes the spirit inside the bottle yeah and so, and it is
1: a case you kind of have to know the meaning behind that terminology you kind exactly. of reference before age statement aspects and that comes with the term straight to and bottled s- and bond as bottled well and bond. yeah to be a straight whiskey in america it's a bit of a convoluted law the easiest way i can ever explain it is to get the term straight in the bottle the whiskey has to be aged for a minimum of two years However, if it's aged less than four, they have to put an age statement on the bottle. Exactly, yeah. Now, considering no whiskey really wants to put three years old, because that doesn't sound impressive, most don't do it. You do see some newer distilleries try and push out spirit early and that even, will label their whiskey as 36 months, because that sounds more impressive.
0: I've even seen some older distilleries release 2.6-year-old whiskey. yeah but it's straight rye whiskey, straight bourbon whiskey that is 2.6 years old, but it was a single cask and it was spectacular. Yeah, well,
1: Even with Jim Beam, they've got a new release, Hardigan's Creek, I think it's called, which is two year old whiskey and it's effectively the current master distiller's best interpretation of what the Jim Beam distillery first released in the late thirties. Right, and
0: I also know they're about to release, I'm not sure if I'm actually allowed to talk about this.
1: Um, <laughs> we'll find out whether this gets edited out or not. <laughs>
0: Um they're about to release a Pennsylvania style rye for the first time in a long time.
1: There, there is that coming along. And they've also been looking at, I guess, the next style of whiskey that we should probably jump into, which is single malt. It's the yeah. largest and fastest growing category in terms of production and, and new distilleries opening up is producing single malt whiskey.
0: Absolutely. And it's uh, one of the earliest uh, distilleries to be doing so was Westland. And then we saw Westwood, we've seen all of these other distilleries, even large companies now are trying to produce single malt whiskey. Like uh, Beam, they're trying to produce a single malt now. You've got um, single malt coming from pretty much every corner of the United States, which is really, really exciting to see because we're seeing this development in the industry and this growth, this rapid growth. This, Create all these new products for us to enjoy.
1: Yeah, and it's been awesome, but it's also been a challenge because of, I guess the, you know, we just mentioned how strong and strict the bourbon laws are. To get any laws changed in America around this this style of spirit production is a real hassle, and so it has kind of hindered. Although the the category has been growing at an accidental rate really quickly, it has still hindered the chances of what they can produce, the the variety of what they can produce. But yeah. when you start seeing companies like Jim Beam start looking at making single malt whiskey, it means one of two things. Otherwise, other means one of two things. Either they've fixed the laws or they're about to. Yeah, it's or, about to change. Or they've figured out how to work around them.
0: Yeah. No, I, uh, I was chatting to someone recently and I reckon we're 12 months off having proper single malt laws in the United States for the first time ever, which yeah. is exciting.
1: And, and for people maybe not understanding what the issue has been around those laws – beyond just classic single malt laws, which I'm sure you've probably covered in other podcasts. Yep. Uh, for America, they kind of just copy and pasted the bourbon laws into single malt. so Which doesn't work. So even the single malt had to be Asian, brand new cars and had the same age statement requirements and all this sort of stuff. All of this. And had to have that terminology of straight
0: or bottled in bond or what have you.
1: Yeah, which, which does put some limitations and restrictions on what you can potentially be producing.
0: Absolutely. And uh, a lot of the single malt producers in the United States have uh, were inspired by breweries. So they're looking at brewing using brewers quality grain, brewers quality barley to produce their whiskey, which has created this very unique and uniquely American flavor profile, which I find very exciting as well.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. And then that unique american flavor profile one comes 100 from the grains they're using the mash bills are using but also having to age in brand new charred oak barrels which is yeah. not a standard in any other whiskey production no because that use of um, brewer's grain is also something we've seen here in australia that led to i guess the recognition globally of the quality of australian whiskey because a lot of the judges especially in scotland were tasting australian whiskey and it tasted like what scottish whiskey used to taste like when they were using brewer's malts it tastes
0: tasted like grain yeah. which is the entire purpose of making whiskey from grain is making it taste that
1: way. So, but we are yeah. also seeing American distillers, you know, get a little fancy with the interpretation of these laws, and we're seeing some gray areas. Like the whiskey we're currently enjoying here, Angel's Envy, is one mm-hmm. of the first to start realizing that yes, it does have to be aged in brand new charred oak barrels. But if you then finish that, like we yeah. see a lot of single malt whiskey is doing, provide you a pretty. You know, honest on the label that you've done this you can get away with it
0: there's also yeah they have to have their words in a certain order right yeah um,
1: and we've seen that also with jim Bean with the small batch which yeah. actually was released for the very first time in the australian market as a kind of a tester um aging their whiskey or finishing their whiskey in california and tawny casts and we've seen with angels envy using various types of cars we've got tawny Their
0: bourbons port- in port wine casts and their rise in rum casts and they need- They've done some experimental stuff outside of that, but they're, they're the two main ones we see.
1: Yeah. And, and this rise is brilliant. If I had more space in my bag last time I was coming back from Kentucky, I definitely would have put a bottle in.
0: It's a personal favorite of uh, most people in the whiskey industry. Unfortunately, it's not been imported into Australia for about nine years, about eight, nine years. Once the angels and got bought by a larger company. So we're hopefully going to see that very soon.
1: Yeah, I do know the uh, brand ambassador for them is is begging and pleading to try and get into the country.
0: I think he's tired of having everyone ask him about it. That's the main reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, so is there any, well, we've talked about a few different brands, especially some new brands. Are there certain companies we should be looking out for?
1: Depends kind of what you're intrigued by. You know, if you're looking at what has really kicked off um, this new wave of recognition in terms of the quality of American spirit we can get. Uh, Jim Beam, though, you know, the classic Jim Beam has its sort of connotations here, as we are talking about before, is that suburban drink, so to speak. They were also the first to really kick off the premium range yep. with uh, what we call the small batch range. So especially bookers and bakers are two of my favorite from that. Um, if you're looking at some of the newer things, there's been a great um, delve into contract distilling that's been going on for some of these smaller distilleries coming up yeah. that have allowed them to release some things and some cool stuff coming out of Louisville.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, well, ones that I've seen that I've, I'm very excited by uh, distilleries like new riff, which
1: they produce it, Almost tasty, tasty juice, yeah.
0: of what you were saying of contract distilling. They saw all the contract distilling, distilling happening, happening and they wanted to go back to distilleries making their own liquid. And so they actually had a retail empire and sold all of it to build the distillery next to their original bottle shop in Kentucky and start making uh, bourbon specifically, but American whiskey as a whole, the kind of traditional way where it's all made in house. Everything's bottled in bond. Everything's um, uh, produced from American grown grain. uh, They do some experimental stuff, some single car stuff, and they are, probably my favourite new American whiskey distillery currently. They are so exciting in what they're, they're doing.
1: Now now in regards to some of the laws we've talked about, you keep mentioning yeah, Bottled, bottled in, bond. in Bond. We should, we should definitely should we make, cover that. Do you want to cover what Bottled in Bond so, actually means?
0: Yeah, so Bottled in Bond was, well, as a, a fun little anecdote, was purely uh, developed by the government to protect people, protect consumers from people that were known as rectifiers who yeah. were buying casks of whiskey or buying spirit off distilleries and then bottling it under their own label but mixing in some less than savoury things. So uh, there's accounts of people putting arsenic into bottles to, to thin out the whiskey so they could get more bottles per, per batch. Yeah, or, one of the
1: best ones I heard was using tobacco spit for colouring.
0: Yep. And so a lot of this was poisoning and killing people. So the Bottled in Bond Act was uh, started to protect people, uh, protect consumers. So the grain has to be farmed in one season from one farm, distilled by one distiller in the same season that it's uh, harvested from that farm. It has to be matured for no less than four years and bottled at 100 proof, American proof. So 50% alcohol by volume. Covered it all pretty much?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it was that it was, it was those same uh, bond stores that the government implemented that also led to a great uh, deluge of spirit making it into the country during prohibition because the people yeah. in charge of those bond stores were you know susceptible to bribes and some of those barrels you know a little hole might be put into them and some of the spirit might just disappear
0: exactly but it's a it's a heavily protected way to produce their whiskey but uh, everything that New Rift does. Meets the bottled in bond standard. Even their single cask stuff. The only thing that separates their single cask from being bottled in bond is the fact that they bottle it cask strength, not at fifty percent ABV.
1: Which you know, I'm kind of okay with. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But that that's the the standard, and that's what we kind of want to see. New Rift. One of the th- my favorite things about New Rift as a company is their transparency everything you need to know about the whiskey is on the label, which you don't see, especially from most American whiskey producers, including large companies. They don't provide you with the information that you need as a consumer. They give you the the lightest terminology and a lot of marketing wank to kind of lead you down this rosy path where a lot of the new distilleries are leading towards this transparent, Angle, which is really exciting. Yeah,
1: I think one of the other great things we've been seeing come out in the industry recently is because for these newer distilleries coming about, trying to break into the scene, competing with you know the behemoths of the bourbon world, just releasing a bourbon is going to be a challenge. Same as if you know here in Australia, if you're creating a craft beer brewery, you're not going to release a lager because you're competing with the likes of Cub, exactly. Carlton VB, Four X, whatever it might be. And so it's seen the resurgence of rye come back in the last sort of five five years or so. And that's just been great to see not only some of the bigger companies getting into rye, making some pretty easy, delightful, light style rye uh, spirit, but also some of these newer craft distilleries releasing some really heavy, bold, crazy kind of rye. You know, like it's kind of like in the craft beer scene, the big IPAs that came out. This is kind of like the IPA of the whiskey world coming back Yeah, and seeing these really spicy, bold, punchy whiskeys. It's been awesome.
0: So there were there's distilleries like Wilderness Trail and. Um, pikesville and peerless all making this really big spicy dense rye whiskey and that uh, to your point is a resurgence in this industry that definitely needed and it's really exciting for us to see
1: and we've also seen that uh, influence the rest of the whiskey world because the laws around bourbon are so strict that no other country can make it. Yeah, you know, Yes, we do have corn whiskeys coming about that are doing some pretty good jobs, yep. but without that label bourbon, it's kind of hard to sell that to the consumer. But rye whiskey doesn't have any Appalachian control. No. And we've seen here in Australia, the likes of Archie and Gospel doing some amazing new, uh, new world rye whiskeys.
0: Absolutely. And Whippersnapper over in Perth as well. And then you've also got uh, rye whiskey being made in the UK Finally, for the first time in over a hundred years, which is really exciting as well. So rye whiskey has really kind of started to take over the world, which is great to see. Cause rye is an incredibly sustainable grain to grow as well. Cause it actually adds nutrients back to the soil that are needed to grow barley. So it's a great crop to rotate in and out to make a sustainable kind of culture around production of
1: whiskey. So, I didn't know you're a farmer as well.
0: I know. I spent a lot of time chatting to uh, some farmers in New South Wales recently. So Fair enough. Was Alex one of them? No, it was Stuart Whitecross from Voyager Estate. He's doing some incredible things. Um, so in the American whiskey realm, we've noticed a lot of changing, a lot of experimentation. Have you found anything really weird or left of center or something that you're you, that's really stuck in your brain?
1: I, mean, the, like, I think just a lot of the experimentation i going on is just the – opening up the world of barrel cast finishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's been, I guess, the, the biggest trend in, ser- in terms of creativity we've been seeing in the states because the, those laws are so restrictive uh, to, a, to a degree. Um, yeah, to some of the, the wine cast finishing, which is you know something that the, the Scottish have been using, we've been using here, and most single malt producing countries have been experimenting with for some time, seeing the uh, American whiskey, and in particular the bourbon industry starting to experiment with this has Led to this extra depth of character. There was a Louisville uh, whiskey I was trying recently called New Lou, and it had been aged in ex wine barrels. Yeah, and it had this great uh, heavy right, like sorry, heavy corn influence. And so it was kind of this flavors of cornbread and smoky barbecue, and you know barbecue beans and the accoutrement you get on a classic yeah. American uh, pitmaster plate, which is all these really rich, bold flavors. And I think that's been some of the fun stuff to see coming out.
0: I mean there's also distilleries like balcones down in uh Texas. Balcones. Balcones, yes. <laughs> um, uh, in uh, Waco in Texas, and they're doing some fun things with smoking their grain with uh timber or mesquite or things you would smoke meat for for Texas barbecue. Uh yeah, it, would...
1: it is fun where an influence can come from. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Here in Victoria and throughout Australia, there's a great wine industry, and so a lot of our whiskeys have been influenced by the the fortified and the still wine industry, but America, you know, the barbecue is so prevalent. So it's yep. not surprising that that's had an influence and an effect on the style of whiskeys coming and through. They've,
0: they've, these producers would obviously like peated whiskey from the United Kingdom. And so they've been inspired and in trying to create a smoky whiskey with what they've got available to them, which is mesquite or uh, cherry wood and Texas Mahogubi scrub wine. or apple wood or whatever they're smoking their meats with, they'll smoke their grain with and see what happens. And it's really exciting to see that realm happening. We're also seeing some experimentation in mash pills for bourbon.
1: Yeah, 100% because those laws require at least 51% corn.
0: And that's the that's it.
1: But kind of after that, you know, classically uh, traditional bourbons will use rye as their flavoring grain. Some more modern distilleries, well, modern in the context of the history of bourbon, like uh, yep. Maker's Mark and, and well, uh, Bim- Pappy Van Winkle use wheat. And so that's a collection of weed of bourbons. But we've started seeing... A few others going a little more crazy with this sort of stuff. We've been seeing. Uh, peated barley yeah.
0: being thrown in there. So having peated bourbons. Yeah, and um, uh, is it millet? Millet, spelt, sorghum, oats. I've yeah. seen quinoa. Yeah, in I was one. about to say. I think I think,
1: <laughs> I think some of the uh, the hipsters took over, and uh, quinoa started to uh, become a trend. Uh, yeah. It hasn't gone so well so far.
0: I've had one good quinoa whiskey, and it came from Western Australia. So <laughs> that was it. Yep. And it was made in a bourbon style, but with a smaller percentage of corn than fifty yeah. percent. But
1: but it's it, that has led to some uh, interesting things coming out. Well, I think one of those millet whiskeys that I tried had like a carrot cake flavor to it.
0: Yep. It's it's really interesting to see how that's all starting to develop, and people are just wanting to take that structure but still experiment within that really tight framework. Yeah, and I think I
1: think the big like thing you can take from all this is bourbon is no longer the the drink your dad or your granddad was was yeah. drinking That's those classic bottles that that we've seen on the shelves forever, the the explosion of flavor and styles and experimentation being happening is glorious to see and as this next generation of distillers come through it's just going to keep happening and keep growing. Well, as you well know, one of my biggest uh
0: missions over the bar is trying to get people to understand that bourbon isn't the stuff that you find on the shelf at a, a retail and off-premise retail space, which is a lot of the stuff that you'll see that is from big brands, but it's the stuff they import into the Australian market because of the way we consume American whiskey. Yeah.
1: And, but, and it's led to those big brands having to look at how to change things. You know, even with Jim Beam, you know, Fred No, the current master distiller, has gone into the distiller's team and gone to the crew and been, well, why do we do it this way? And their response has been, well, because that's how we've always done it. We're keeping tradition. Yeah. And his response is, why? Yeah. and Why, so, why don't we try and change yeah, something? like let's look at why we do all these things and is there a better way? Is there a different way? Can we start messing around with this and having a bit of fun and figuring out is this the way we should be doing it?
0: And people need to uh, – I think uh, one thing I'd like to see in Australia specifically is people realising – how exciting the American whiskey landscape is at the moment and delving into some of the stuff that, yeah, they might might be more difficult to get a hold of, but you will have such a fun and exciting time tasting through all of these wild, weird, experimental things that honestly just are getting better and better year to year.
1: Yeah, and when you and I were working together at Whiskey yeah. Environment with the likes of Luke McCarthy and each week we're trying – 10 to 15 different single malts and and immersing ourselves in that world. Anytime we added a new American whiskey to the bar, instantly all of us like, oh my God, we kind of forgot how good (laughs) American whiskey is. And we kind of make it a point be, well, let's try more.
0: Yeah, and it's gone to the point that um, the owners of Whiskey and Ailment and myself are constantly looking at all the exciting things happening in America and trying to spend time and energy getting that stuff over to share with people because we want that stuff to be coming into Australia to just for people to drink it and talk about it. Like we are right now, like this angels envy it hasn't been brought into Australia for like I said, eight to nine years, but people want it. People are excited by it, but it just doesn't get brought into Australia because they don't see it as a growth market, which is a bit of a shame,
1: especially in a market that does consume so much. Uh, The the hesitancy for these companies to bring in new things out of fear that it might not quite work where every time they do get a chance, most of them do pretty well. And the way a lot of people look
0: at it is America is just trying to keep it all for themselves, but that's not the case. It's just a...
1: Yeah, and and there's potentially also the part of it. There is just a bit of a global drought in in whiskey because of how popular it's become. In the last five to ten years, the explosion of whiskey globally is insane and that's been through every style of whiskey. You know, we, we saw an increase of consumption about six to eight years ago of 12% for the year, which yeah. from a marketing point of view, that's an insane increase. Most yeah. spirits fluctuate anywhere from two to 4% a year. So a 12% hike is crazy, but that was followed by a 6% decrease, but a 6% increase in sales yeah. or like yeah. all spend. So everyone kind of fell in love with whiskey in this short period of time. And then everyone realized how good some whiskeys were and, uh, you know, like Drinking less, but spending better or drinking better. Yeah. So I think
0: we'll just finish up there, but I do have a, a final four questions for you, which are the same questions I ask everyone at the end of every episode. And these are going to be some rapid fire questions. I just want a quick, simple answer. Are you ready? Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, what was the first drink you ever had? Uh, Guinness, maybe. Guinness, potentially. Possibly.
1: It was that or whiskey and Coke.
0: Yeah. I know mine was a jelly shot from a young age which I shouldn't mention. <laughs> what was the last drink that you had that you enjoyed? That's not the whiskey that we're tasting right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, actually the last, well, if it's, it's going to be whiskey because that's what I drink a lot of. Uh, the yep. last whiskey I was actually drinking that I really loved was a Caden Heads Ardmore eight-year-old cherry cask. Oh, incredible. Where yeah. was that at? Uh, my house while I was playing guitar.
0: Fantastic. That's brilliant. Um, well, do you normally drink when you finish work? You had a long day, tired, Sitting at home to, to wash away the sorrows of the day. What do you normally drink?
1: What well, I normally get, I get the most beer water beer I can find
0: yep. and a big glass of whiskey. Fair enough. And finally, I already know the answer to this question, but often called the bartender's handshake, Fernet Brunker. Do you actually enjoy it or do you just tell people
1: that you do? No. Yeah. The, the only time I do enjoy Fernet is in a Toronto, a classic rye whiskey cocktail. Yep. Uh, I I think with Fernet, it's almost like Stockholm Syndrome. I I had a bartender friend of mine that forced me to drink it all the time. All the time. So, yeah, if if I had a choice, no. I'm one of the rare masochistic people
0: who genuinely
1: enjoys it. Bronco Mentor, on the other hand, I I do get around that.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm looking forward to sharing a trend with you very soon, including now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's been an absolute joy to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me on another episode of Spirited Discussions. I hope you had as much fun as I have and have been able to take away something you didn't know. Don't forget to like, subscribe and share with your friends. And please join me next time on Spirited Discussions.